Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Political Party. Today's guest is Jimmy Wales, founder of Wikipedia. And this is a fascinating discussion about why Wikipedia was set up, how it's run, the people involved in it. That's a whole other story all of itself. An amazing tale. And what they do, this is an incredible discussion. But I hope this episode finds you well. Some of you, of course, will have been to the pub by now, which I'm very jealous of. But it's a sign that society is starting to gear up again and that things are starting to return. And one of the things, of course, that's about to return is live entertainment. And on that note, I'm delighted to be able to announce the return of the political party as a live show with three very special nights at the Garrick Theatre in London's West End. Get a pen and paper and write these details down. Three nights, three very special shows, three amazing lineups. On Monday, the 24th of May, I'll be joined by Peter Mandelson and Saida Varsi. On Tuesday, the 25th of May, I'll be joined by Keir Starmer and Andrea Ledson. And on Wednesday, the 2nd of June, I'll be joined by Jess Phillips and Esther McVeigh. To say I'm excited is an understatement. They are six fantastic guests, three amazing nights. Tickets are on sale now if you go to my website, mattford.com slash live. For more details, follow me on Twitter at mattford. I cannot wait for those. We have obviously been booking them the last few weeks and I've been desperate to announce it and, and tell you. I've always wanted to go, oh, I've got an announcement coming. But till it's all sorted, I never like to say it. So there we are, the Garrick Theatre. If you've not been, one of the most beautiful theatres in the West End. I saw this house there, James Graham's play, and I saw Frank Skinner there. So to return to live entertainment with three nights at the Garrick, which for your um, reassurance will be socially distanced and COVID secure, uh, is is a real thrill. So come along. It'll be great to be back on stage. I mean, that, when was the last time I did one of these live? So uh, anyway, I just cannot wait. And they're three fantastic nights uh, with six fantastic guests. I just keep saying that because I'm so excited about it. But yes, you can get tickets now from mattford.com slash live. Now onto this episode, which in itself, of course, is, is wonderful entertainment enough. This is a, a, a remarkable conversation with Jimmy about Wikipedia, which is obviously one of the stars of the internet and why it functions differently to things like Twitter and Facebook and why the design of Wikipedia is part of the reason for that and why people behave differently on different platforms. And I don't want to issue too many spoilers here, but it's a really good discussion about the psychology of the internet, the ethics of the internet, who has access to what, who should police and regulate what, what is the best way to get the best results and how the design of websites affect how people behave on there. It is absolutely thrilling. And this is from one of the... Jimmy Wales set this up. He is one of, effectively, like the founding fathers of the internet, really, because Wikipedia is such a successful website. And obviously, such a... And we talk about the particulars of Wikipedia and why he wanted to set up that sort of website, um, which, in a way, is 
the closest thing to the founding principles of the internet about sharing information and educating people. But I began by asking Jimmy, not whether he'd bought his tickets yet for these wonderful Garrick dates, but where the idea for Wikipedia came from. Ah, well, I was I was watching the growth of uh, free software, open source software, as most people know it, seeing programmers coming together to collaborate uh, in new ways. Um, and, you know, most of the software that built the early Internet was uh, open source software. So, uh, you know, uh, GNU Linux, Apache, Perl, MySQL, PHP, all, all the early technologies. And even today, a huge amount of the technology that runs the Internet is is free written by volunteers who've collaborated online. Um, and I just thought that was an amazing thing. And I realized that that kind of collaboration could extend beyond just software into all kinds of cultural works. And so I uh, started to think about collaboration and what people might work together on and hit upon the idea of uh, an encyclopedia. Having that idea and then setting it up are, are two very different things. <laughs> uh, how do you go about yeah. setting up a, a, a website like Wikipedia? Well, well, I mean, before Wikipedia, uh, I attempted uh, with a, a site called Newpedia, which was the predecessor to Wikipedia. And because I didn't really understand yet uh, online communities or, or how to do this collaboration, uh, we pursued a very uh, top-down model, very old-fashioned. So there was a seven-stage review process to get anything published. Uh, people had to fax in their CVs, uh, all that kind of old-fashioned stuff. and um, Pursued that for a couple of years and progress was very, very slow uh, and realized that it wasn't going to work when I tried to write something myself and it felt very heavy and very intimidating uh, and decided we really needed to simplify, needed to open up, uh, stumbled across the wiki concept, which had been around for several years uh, before I came across it. Uh, and we set up the wiki and we got more work done in two weeks than we had in almost two years. So it was it was pretty impressive shift. And it's the sort of thing that you think, well, someone might have come up with this idea eventually. Obviously, you had the idea first. But do you think, were there other ideas like this out there? And was yours just the best and, and the, the functionally well, the easiest to use? I mean, there were, uh, you know, sort of going back later and and answering that question and, and puzzling about there were a couple of uh efforts but they mostly never got any further than just a discussion group uh you know people were talking about the idea that there could could be an encyclopedia written by lots of people and so on and so forth um and actually when i had the idea i didn't know about those things necessarily but i did feel like while this is so obvious we've got to really get on it and 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 move fast because lots of people are going to try to do the same thing and then, of course, with Newpedia, we, we worked on it for two years and there was still nobody doing it. <laughs> so it maybe wasn't so uh, obvious as I thought. And where does Wikipedia... This is such a... Um, forgive me if I sound thick, because I use the internet. I use social media. I'm not... I don't understand the tech behind these things at all. Is there, like, a Wikipedia headquarters somewhere that has the servers with all the <laughs> stuff on it? Or is it just all out there on the internet? in the cloud so yeah so the, the 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 those are two different things so there is the office in california um where there's you know a couple hundred people working uh although mostly working from home so like most companies and most organizations our our office is pretty empty these days um but people are 
getting ready to trickle back into the office. Uh, and then the servers are located uh, in data centers. Um, and we've got a few different sites, um, machines and racks and all that sort of thing. But actually, because of the, because of the way Wikipedia works, the amount of pure technology infrastructure is a lot lower than you might think. Um, so if you, if you think about, uh, if you visit uh, you know, Facebook or Twitter, every time you load the page, there's a huge complicated database operation that has to pull together the latest tweets from people you follow and this, that, and the other, and all the elements on the page. But if you visit, particularly without having logged in, if you go and visit the, the page on Queen Elizabeth II, well, everybody sees the same page. So we basically have that cached in memory and just kind of spit it out very, very quickly. And if you're logged in, we just have to add a few bits at the top, you know. So that means that the, you know, we're, we're talking about hundreds of servers, not millions of servers. And so that, that piece of it is, is a lot lighter than people probably think. And what do the 200 people in the office do? What, what is the, the function of Wikipedia headquarters? So the, so the, the important thing is that sort of, let's start with what they're not doing. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> if people are imagining a model where there's, um, you know, hundreds of sub, sub editors and editors deciding what goes on, what goes into the encyclopedia and approving things and so on, uh, they have nothing to do with any of that. Uh, I would say the amount of editing that goes on in the office is very close to zero. I mean, people probably do it on their lunch break, like in any company, but, um, in general, uh, so it's the it's the software developers who are working on new software, and that includes things like the the mobile app and things like that. It's the the operations team who get, keep the website running. So there are people who are tasked with the security, performance, sort of keeping everything running smoothly. Uh, accounting, finance, legal, fundraising, communications, you know, all of the sort of back office functions that you would expect uh, to just to keep the lights on and keep the place running. So uh, that's, that's it. And then, and then also I, should, I shouldn't omit the, the community teams um, who are uh, supporting the communities in, in whatever they need and organizing things and, and sort of trust and safety. Uh, you know, sometimes the, the foundation has to do, although most site banning, so you can get yourself blocked from Wikipedia pretty easily if you misbehave. Uh, but that's mostly done by the community. But there's occasional like difficult cases where the foundation will step in. So it's you know it, it's a variety of things. It's really interesting the contrast between what you've done with Wikipedia and what other website you know website giants of the internet age have done. Obviously, uh, website would only be true of the internet age. But if I think of yes. Google. Yes. And they're sprawling tentacles where they've literally photographed everyone's <laughs> front door. You know, it's not inconceivable that Wikipedia could have operated in that space that you could have said, well, we're mm. an encyclopedia and we're going to give you information about where you live and what the temperature mm. is today. And, and Wikipedia Street View could have been a thing. Why didn't you go down that route? I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think uh, in part we, we have a, a fairly old fashioned view of what an encyclopedia is. Um, obviously, if you compare Wikipedia to a traditional encyclopedia like Britannica, um, the, the, the similarities are obvious. There's obviously differences as well, uh, not only in the way we create, but also the, the level of comprehensiveness and things like that. Um, part of that's just because, as we say, wiki is not paper. So 
Um, you know, you would never in Britannica expect to have an entry on every single Pokemon character. Uh, but there's no reason not to. It doesn't cost anything extra. So it's not like, you know, we're wasting paper or whatever. Um, but in, in general, the, the, the core concept is the same. It's a, you know, a neutral summary of human knowledge. Um, and, but I also think one of the things that's really interesting and, and really important is our business model, uh, which is, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about that we're a nonprofit. I mean, that is obviously an element of it, but you could be a nonprofit that pursued advertising as a revenue model. But the fact that we don't have any ads, we don't have a paywall, that we only exist from donations, uh, and the vast majority of the donations are from the general public, people giving uh, $20, 20 pounds, that sort of thing. Uh, that actually fundamentally changes our incentive structure as well. Uh, and I believe that business model sort of drives results in any organization. So, you know, for us, we, uh, you know, we don't have clickbait headlines uh, and that sort of thing. We don't really obsess over how long you spend on the site um, simply because it doesn't matter, right? Uh, the more you are reading Wikipedia, that doesn't make us any extra money. What does make us extra money is if at the end of the year, you see that little notice and you go, you know what, this is great. Like this is meaningful to my life. I should chip in a few bucks because why not? Um, and, and that means sort of sprawling into everything and gathering all your data and, and learning everything about you just isn't really what we're interested in. Um, and so that, that's made us sort of simpler in a way and, and purer. But you have, have you ever been tempted? Have you ever thought, actually, we could do something else here? We could expand into X area, if it's not Street View or, or whatever it is that Google have done or a music streaming service. Mm. Are there other areas where you've been tempted to perhaps expand? Well, I mean, we do have a kind of a suite of sites. So we've got the Wiktionary, which is a dictionary, uh, Wikibooks, which is basically textbooks, uh, you know, uh, there, there are several different sort of affiliated projects. None of them are obviously anything like as famous and successful as Wikipedia, but they have great communities and they, they carry on. I think probably the, the biggest and the most interesting uh, for me anyway, is Wikidata, uh, which is a project. It's actually run by the, the German chapter of the Wikimedia movement. Um, and what, what they're doing and what we're doing there is just basically creating an enormous data set of uh, structured data that could be reused and repurposed for all kinds of different things. Uh, and it's enormous already and people are adding new data all the time and so forth. I think it's, I, I, it's so big and sprawling that it's hard to even get your head around, but I think it's gonna have a real impact in the long run uh, as people can use it for all kinds of interesting projects. I'm just mindful of people who listen to this podcast who might not be that techie, but a wiki is a, a form of database, is that right? And where does it get its name? Yeah. I mean, so what I would say is like a wiki uh, is a website anyone can edit. That's the basic definition of a wiki. Uh, the word wiki comes from uh, a Hawaiian word, wiki wiki, uh, which means quick. Uh, so quick collaboration is the idea. Uh, if you go to Maui and you, you take the bus at the airport, they call it the wiki wiki bus, uh, which in my experience, it was not very wiki wiki. It was quite slow, but there you go. Um, and so... Uh, and, and the first wiki was created uh, back in around 1995, 1996 by a guy, uh, Ward Cunningham, great, lovely programmer, I know him. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's 
it's as much a philosophy as anything else, because the thing about Wiki is it's really a, a different model for community management. Um, and, and in fact, one of the things that, that is interesting about the history of Wikipedia and how we got to where we are is that, you know, Wikipedia really grew. It really began to boom during the depths of the dot-com crash. Uh, and so there was no way to really raise money. Uh, there was no way, you know, I decided to put it into the nonprofit because there was no obvious other model really to support it as it was. <clears throat> and what that meant was uh, it was sort of uh, what are the necessities, the mother of invention. Um, in a normal situation, if I'd been able to raise money sort of from venture capitalists or whatever, anytime, if you saw some problem on the site, you would just think, oh, we just need to hire more moderators. We're just going to hire people to be the moderators, which is exactly what we see at Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and, and all the other social kind of sites, which is huge armies of very poorly paid people with quite distressing jobs, to be honest, sort of combing through the worst things that humanity can figure out to put online and deciding what to delete or not delete. Uh, and, you know, those communities, you, you don't really have any genuine control. What I always say is, you know, at Twitter, for example, uh, if you see somebody doing something terrible on Twitter, you basically have three choices of what you can do. You can block them. That helps you. It doesn't help anybody else. You can um, report them. Uh, and if you've ever had to report anybody doing something terrible on Twitter, it's not a great experience. No. Um, I mean, I've had horrible things said on Twitter and I don't complain about much because whatever, you know. And then had Twitter come back and say, oh, we don't see any problem here. I'm like, really? Is it, it's not against the rules to call people a pedophile when I'm not, you know? Uh, and then the, uh, the other thing you do is yell at people, right? It was very popular on Twitter as, as a, a third choice of what to do about a problem. Um, whereas at Wikipedia, you know, the community has the ability to control their own environment. They, they handle the blocking. They make the rules. They discuss debate. Uh, the administrators are elected from the community. Uh, you know, there's a whole set of checks and balances and things like that. And it's all open and transparent. You can see who blocked you, what reason. You can appeal it to the arbitration committee, et cetera, et cetera. It's not perfect. It's a noisy, like any democratic system. It's, it's noisy and complicated. And things sometimes get, you know, you get to the wrong answer sometimes. I'm sure that you know, uh, although usually I find the answer is basically right when I am asked to review something the community has decided. Um, and so it's very different from, you know, what we see today, uh, you know, where uh, there's this very expensive and non-scalable and not working that well kind of um, model that just says, actually, there's going to be paid staff who make all the decisions. And then there's the users of the site and there's that sharp division. And, and we've really broken that down and pretty radical way but it was, to tie oh, back it was because i had no money <laughs> there was no money to hire anybody so i'm like well we got to figure out you know the community says you know like we really have a problem with these people being annoying and how are we going to deal with that and we had to work it out so and the community is just a, a collection of well-meaning people who care about your website yeah. all over the yeah. world yeah yeah uh, and I, I always say like the best Wikipedians are the ones who care more about the values of Wikipedia than whatever particular thing they're editing about. And so, uh, you know, a good Wikipedian, like I would say, I've given this example, like I would never edit uh, about Donald Trump uh, because 
I just, he makes me go crazy. I can't t- tolerate. I wouldn't be able to edit in a, in a fair and neutral manner, right? Mm. I would just be very, I'd find it very hard to be neutral. And so as a good Wikipedian, I'm like, I shouldn't do that. I should stay away from that. Let people with cooler heads, uh, you know, on that topic. And in other topics, I, I, you know, it might be quite controversial to some, but I'm like, well, actually, I, I don't get emotional about it. So I can do that work. Uh, and so we do, you know, when we think about the future and we think about what's really, really important, what we come back to again and again is community health. And so community health for us doesn't mean how many people are editing Wikipedia, because that we could we can artificially affect that. I mean, you can get more people to edit by just making the edit button bigger. You know, like you can do standard techniques online, but it's really about, you know, are people having fun? Are they uh, treating each other with respect? Uh, are they doing quality work? Um, are they dealing correctly with problems or concerns of bias and so on and so forth? And that's the areas that we always are trying to look at and to think about how do we improve? Uh, and I think there's plenty of room for improvement. So, you know, it's... There's something really special about Wikipedia. In I think that it feels truer to the founding principles of the internet than any other website, certainly any other big successful website, the idea that it would spread knowledge, that democratization mm. of, of knowledge that you could on a handset or a thing, just find out the facts about a thing and learn uh, all those noble intents behind the creation of it. And your website seems to enshrine that more than any other. And then within that, you've then democratized effectively the regulation of it. So how many people are in the community and how do people get involved? Yeah, so I mean, it, it's it's hard to say how many um, because what counts really? Um, you know, if, if you want to be the most expansive and you say everybody who ever makes one edit is a member of the community, well, of course, in a sense, sure, but not really. Uh, I I normally look at numbers of people who are editing five times a month or a hundred times a month. So it's you know it's sixty to eighty thousand people regularly in a month's wow. time. It's probably three to five thousand though who are the real core, like the really active community members, uh, who are really making ultimately the the bigger decisions and and things like that. So it's it's a large group of people, and I'm talking globally. Obviously, it would be fewer people in in certain languages. Uh, so yeah, and we're split up by languages, not by country. People sometimes say, "Oh, you know how how you know is there a is there a UK Wikipedia? No, there's not. There's English, you know." Uh, and Welsh and, you know, <laughs> a few other things, but uh, we, we divide things up by language rather than by country. It's amazing to think there's three to 5,000 people out there now around the world that are effectively kind of, what, how would you think of them? Librarians, regulators, <laughs> they're kind of a, they're a kind of special type of yeah. civic volunteer. Yeah. Yeah, Wikipedians. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, so I, mean, I remember a few years ago, we, uh, we were in, and this is this is a common thing, but it, there was just one time when it really struck me. Uh, so we every year we have our annual conference called Wikimania. We do it in a different location every year. Uh, we actually had to cancel it because of uh, COVID. But um, and at Wikimania one year in Egypt, I, I went to one of the sort of closing dinners and uh, sat at a table just randomly, you know, got my plate of food and went and sat down. And I sat with a whole group from the English Language Arbitration Committee. So this is the sort of the Supreme Court of English Wikipedia. Uh, and then, you know, had my dinner and I've known them all for years and, and so on, some better than others and so on. And as I was leaving, I, I said to a friend, I said, do you realize you just had dinner 
with seven of the most powerful people in the English language media, right? Uh, they make really sort of Supreme Court level decisions and they're just a bunch of geeks, right? Uh, <laughs> which is fantastic, right? So it's not Rupert Murdoch making decisions based on sort of political objectives and wrangling. It's just geeks going, yeah, is there a source for that? You know, so it's kind of amazing to think about. And how do those forums work then, the, the committees? Are they things that you set up, are they evolved over time and who decides who's on them? So the, the arbitration committee is elected uh, by the community and I think still technically appointed by me, although I, I, I step back from a, like my role in that regard is sort of like the queen, right? So I have a sort of a technical position with no actual power. Uh, but for example, I believe, and uh, nobody's told me otherwise, that if the arbitration committee went rogue, I could call for elections. And that's an important check and balance. But of course, I'd damn well better be right if I stepped in to do something like that, because otherwise I'd be quickly deposed, you know. Um, and so it's that sort of, um, I would say, I think for British people, it's understood there's, there's a lot of stuff written down in Wikipedia, but it evolves over time. And there's no specific sort of written constitution in the American sense, right? There's a whole bunch of practices and, and we, we write things down uh, and approve them uh, sort of through a set of processes that have evolved over a very long period of time. Um, and, you know, it's, it, there are sometimes questions like, should uh, should admins have term limits? Like, could you could, do you need to stand for re-election as an admin? Uh, that's generally, I think, in a, a few languages they've decided to do that, and in other languages they've not. Um, but you can lose your adminship if you do it incorrectly. So there there are ways that people get desisopt uh, fairly regularly. So it's complicated, right? It's just like a series of practices that have worked for us over a long period of time that are always subject to evolution. And are there elements of, you know, once people start editing Wikipedia pages, and it's not something I've ever done, partly because I think I've never had the inclination. And I think even if I got to that level, I would think, can I be sure what I'm editing is factually correct? I've never seen anything mm. on Wikipedia where I thought, oh, I need to correct that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which I guess is the main motivator for maybe one person who might do it once. But then the people yeah. who's in it all the time must be of an inclination where mission might be too strong a word, but they certainly might be publicly spirited to think, actually, I care about the truth. I care yeah. about, in effect, policing again is the wrong word, maybe regulating, but just tidying up, making sure that, you know, the, yeah. the truth I mean, is I, I, Yeah, I think there's a lot of people um, in the community who <clears throat> they, they just uh, enjoy the process of making things orderly. Um, and, and that's a, a good thing. Also, people, you know, some people in the community, I mean, people have different motivations. So, uh, as an example, I once met a, a lovely guy who was an architect, and he's very deeply involved in uh, Wiki Project Bridges, which is all about bridges. And I actually don't think he was an architect of bridges, per se. He's just an architect uh, of the general sort. And, but that was what his hobby was. He was really into bridges. And so that group of people um, who are not all architects, but they all, for whatever reason, had a passion about bridges, and they would go through entries, you know, sort of <clears throat> grading every article about the bridge and they had a certain set of standards, like every bridge article should tell the length and the construction type and the blah, blah, I know nothing about bridges, you know. And, you know, it's like, so there's that type of person who just has a hobby that they're interested in or whatever it might be. There are other people who are just interested in Wikipedia generally uh, or 
you know, a certain area of history or, or what have you. So it, it's a lot of different kinds of people with a lot of different kinds of motivations. So there's not a particular profile of a Wikipedia community um, member. Well, there, not really, but there is, right? And there, there is in a, in, a, in a good way and a bad way. And what I mean by that is, so I, I used to, back when blogging used to be kind of a bigger thing, I, I always said, the difference between a Wikipedian and a blogger is a blogger is really looking, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but they want to put their ideas out under their name and say, here's my statement about the world. And the Wikipedian's not really that sort of driven in that direction. Uh, I don't necessarily think those either is better or worse than the other, but obviously for Wikipedia, it's, it's we're a different type of community. So quite geeky, I would say really generally friendly, nice people. Um, but uh overwhelmingly male uh so that is something that the community considers a problem uh 80 to 90 percent male depending on how you measure it uh we would love to have more women editing wikipedia and it's something that's been a focus for a long time but we frankly haven't made nearly the progress that i had hoped we would there's a few reasons for it um some of them are kind of beyond our control and some of them i think are things we can control so um, you know, one, one way I talk about this, so, you know, your typical Wikipedian is a, a, a geeky, quite often computer geek, uh, late 20s male. Uh, and, you know, that, that is a certain personality type that's, uh, you know, if, we, if we, we've done focus groups where we ask highly qualified women, why don't you edit Wikipedia? Uh, and they're far more likely than the 27-year-old computer geek man to say, oh, I'm not sure I know enough, right? I mean, it's, it's just a thing. Like, Wikipedia is written in a very authoritative style. And as, as, you know, I say this as a joke against men because it's correct. <laughs> but, you know, as any woman will tell you, men are very happy to speak in a very authoritative manner about something they know nothing about. And, yeah. and women are more sensible. <laughs> I say it as a joke, but there is something to that, that sort of cultural uh, thing. Uh, then there's there's also the technology element, which has gotten a lot better in recent years. And, and here I'm always careful to say, I'm not saying women aren't good at computers. I'm saying if you've got a project where m most people need a very high level of computer geekery to do it, that that community of people who are can can do that, uh, who are comfortable in that environment is largely male. And that's just a broader fact about society that um, that we live in. But then I think neither of those reasons mean that <clears throat> we have no responsibility. So we just throw up our hands and say, oh, so what? We have to address those and really think about those. Uh, and then additionally, and on top of that, it's really about behavior in the community, right? If, if we know that uh, if people are being rude and abrasive, uh, we know that costs us participation. And we know that that probably costs us per participation amongst women, uh, minority groups and things like that more than sort of sort of white men yelling at each other in a more sort of macho-y kind of way. So we focus a lot on that to say, okay, behavior standards really do matter. We have a new, in the past year, we've, uh, after a, a very long effort, uh, created a new code of conduct across the whole movement that really looks to address those kinds of things to say, look, it's just not okay to be nasty to other people. Um, and this is, you know, this is very different again, and, and we're human beings, so it isn't perfect, uh, but it's very different from somewhere like Twitter where, you know, the main rule is, did you break the law? No, then have at it, you know, be rude as you want. 
Uh, and we're like, yeah, actually, this is supposed to be a friendly place. We're writing an encyclopedia where, where you know, it really, there's no excuse for being a jerk. So, uh, but anyway, that's, that's an area where I feel like we have to constantly come back to and constantly focus on, because, you know, there will be times when somebody is a brilliant writer, very good, very knowledgeable on a particular subject, and a total jerk, right? And that, that presents for the community quite a hard problem sometimes because it's like what we would lose if we ban the person is quite visible. It's this work that they're doing, which we all think is actually quite good. But what we lose if we keep them is you'll never see it because it's the people they drove away by sitting on their articles and hand hounding people and being rude and obnoxious. So it's, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that we think a lot about, talk a lot about in the community. Maybe you don't need to consider this because by definition, you're attracting a type of person who is spirited in this way, but are there incentives or rewards, financial or non-financial? You know, do people collect points the more they edit? Do they get yeah. bigger voting rights? So we've, we've, we've basically avoided that. Um, although yes, yes and no. So in terms of quantity of edits or upvotes, downvotes, I feel like all those things can be so easily gamed. Um, and they're also kind of unpleasant, right? It's sort of like, you know, what I would say is like, imagine if you, every day at your job, if you went in and you had to wear a badge saying how many people liked you and how many people don't like you, right? <laughs> sounds quite inhuman, right? I wouldn't wear Somehow that, that. Oh, we're on Twitter. Oh, ooh, this person's got, you know, 37 likes on that tweet, you know? It's like, really? Like, that's just so weird. Uh, and so we don't, we want to avoid that kind of stuff. We want to avoid gamification, um, which does work in terms of generating more activity, but it, it may not be productive or useful or thoughtful activity. Uh, and then, you know, even, you know, we, we, we talk about what we call edit count-itis, which we consider a, a sort of a mild disease, I guess, the reason we call it itis, is like, looking too closely at how many edits a person has is really misleading. Uh, it's not completely useless. I mean, we have editors who've put in, you know, hundreds of thousands of edits and they're, they're very experienced. That's clearly the case. But we also have users who just by their writing style, you know, some people are like, oh, I found this obscure topic with a very short article on an obscure Polish count from the 1800s. They go off and, 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 and read books and dig in historical things and they come back and they've written a piece and they paste it in, right? And then other people are like, oh, I've got this cool bit of software I wrote that helps me find spelling errors in Wikipedia. And I'm going to go in and do, 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 make 100 edits a day uh, fixing spelling errors. And so the count, the number of edits doesn't really mean anything. But we do have, so it's not algorithmic, it's not numeric, but we do have, you know, recognition within the community. You know, you, people do get to be known. Uh, one way to become known in a positive way in the community is some people are really, really good at um, conflict resolution at, at, you know, and it's a very, it's a very human thing. So, you know, I spoke earlier about, you know, the person who's doing really great work, but they're obnoxious, right? Well, if somebody can approach them and somehow get them to behave themselves better, right? To say, stop being a jerk all the time right, in a way that actually improves that person's behavior, that's unbelievably valuable in Wikipedia, and it does get recognized, and those people become the, they get elected to the arbitration committee, because people can see, like, they're, they're able to resolve conflict in a way uh, by making thoughtful decisions and, and so on, so there is sort of levels of recognition in the community, but we try to keep it from being, 
numeric. You know, it's it's very it's very human. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And getting elected to that arbitration committee, are there elections like every four years or can people just be elected as and when? Uh, elections are annual for the arbitration committee and the terms are a certain length, which I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it, it's, yeah. It's and those meetings, those committees, do they meet online like over Zoom or are they like a chat room or are they, do people physically meet up in an office somewhere? Most of the work of the arbitration committee is done on mailing lists. Uh, so they've got a private mailing list where they can consider things and discuss and debate. And, and then, but, but it's also on the wiki, like, you know, people can present a case to the arbitration committee saying, hey, we've got this intractable dispute. It's been going on for months. Can you make a ruling? Um, and then people post evidence. I mean, it's unbelievably procedural. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like a court almost, you know. Uh, and and do, do, the, do any members of the committee, I'm, I know it's a not-for-profit, but do they, is it like John Lewis in a way where they own a certain amount of the shares? No, 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 we're, we're a charity. So all the community stuff is pretty much of the community. Um, and, you know, that's actually a very interesting, you know, in a sense, constitutional question because, the community predates the Wikimedia Foundation. And so while the Wikimedia Foundation has a certain legal ownership and status and technically can do things, it's not really re regarded as within their remit. Uh, the job of the, the Wikimedia Foundation is to serve the community and the community's job is to create an encyclopedia, uh, which means that in the past we've had some complications around uh, what if the foundation bans someone and the community doesn't think they should have. Um, whether as in one very famous case in English Wikipedia, whether it's because people disagreed with the banning or actually disagreed with the procedural problem that if the mm -hmm. Wikimedia Foundation starts banning people for that, when it didn't go through the proper processes, what does that actually mean for the power of the community? And that's like a constitutional question uh, that's interesting. I'm guessing that as you um, suggest you're the queen, a constitutional monarch, <laughs> that's as a result of, the way this has gone, that actually you don't feel you have to get involved. And as a result, should mm. we conclude that on the whole, things are pretty harmonious within the community and we yeah. can conclude that actually that's quite a positive thing. There is this corner yeah. of the internet, a huge area of it where, yeah. it, where things work well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's loads of sensible people in the community. And you know, what I, what I always say is, you know, if you 
So I, one, one area, I, I think journalists have a hard time thinking clearly about this because they have a certain completely correct and valid experience of the internet, which is I, I lovingly wrote this piece of fantastic journalism. I posted it on the website and down below in the comments, the worst people in the humanity <laughs> yelled at each other and yelled at me. And they're like, okay, yeah, community. Like there's a lot of idiots out there, right? And so they, they, it's hard to imagine that actually, no, there's actually quite a lot of perfectly nice people um, who do want to get along and they want to they have a good, healthy, robust intellectual debate, um, but can do so without uh, sort of insults and rancor. And, uh, you know, this is, as I said earlier, you can, you can see that I'm, I'm the opposite of President Trump <laughs> in that sense, uh, simply because I don't, you know, it's like, I don't relish that kind of bashing and, and sort of crashing around. I just think it's stupid. And I actually do relish, like what I really love is to meet someone and have a debate with them, someone I disagree with, right? But who's interesting, right? Who I feel like, okay, I actually have to grapple with this idea because although I disagree with it, it's like, it's interesting enough to grapple with. Uh, whereas, and I think that's been lost in, in, I would say in a lot of the sort of the Twitter culture, it's just, it's about finding the stupid thing someone said and bashing them for it rather than really sort of going into, okay, what actually is, I mean, so I talk about this in terms of, you know, if we think about the, the questions around what should the policy be about immigration, say, into the US, into the UK. What should our immigration policies be? I think there's a wide range of perfectly legitimate views on that, ranging from, you know, being saying, so I think we should be quite strict and not let too many people in. And I think we should be quite open. And that, you know, it's like, and then why and under what circumstances and how would you get into the meat of that? And why would you, why would you think that? Uh, and then you've got, you know, Donald Trump saying they're not letting in their best people. And, you know, it's like, you're speaking nonsense, man. Like you're not even acknowledging like this could be an interesting debate. And if you came out and said, actually, I think there is a problem. I think that we're letting in too many uh, under these conditions and that, that, then, okay, maybe I disagree. That's fine. Right. But at least now we have the ability to have a conversation and a debate. And I think that's really important that as much as possible, we encourage people uh, but not inside Wikipedia, by the way. It's not the place to have policy debates. Um, but to encourage people in that kind of Wikipedia mindset of like, okay, first, my job here is to understand. Uh, and then I can form an opinion. But first, I really need to, to know uh, what's going on. And, and you can choose a million issues. I mean, the number of people with quite extreme views on Brexit, for example, with very minimal understanding of what the European is, is like, wow, like, could you just slow down? I mean, I'm not talking, I'm on both sides. Absolutely. Let's could you slow down? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think there, 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 are, there is space for this. And actually, I, I, there are a few newer media outlets that I really like that seem to be kind of going in that direction. Um, I really like the conversation, which is, it's mostly academics writing, but they, I mean, I'm not endorsing the entire publication. I haven't, studied it that level. but I do find that <clears throat> I'll find pieces there and I'm like oh actually oh I agree with this or actually I disagree with this but you know hmm interesting right uh worth chewing on so I'm fascinated 
about how people behave differently on different platforms. So mm. people could have a Twitter account and an Instagram account, and they will behave differently on Twitter than they will on Instagram. Mm. Mm. And how much that is a reflection of what the rules are perceived to be in that space. And as a yeah. result, Fair how much enough. that's a reflection of the principles of the people that, that own these things. Twitter mm. is basically a cesspit where anything goes. And I think people have mm -hmm. just become conditioned. They go, well, this is fine. We're, we're all doing it on here. I'm allowed to yeah, behave yeah. in a particular way. I don't know if you're familiar. There's a boxer called Carl Froch, and I, I did something with him recently, and he said, we're chatting about social media. This guy had been world champion God knows how many times, phenomenal fighter. And he said, shall I post something on Twitter about how it's the anniversary of when I won my world title? And people are like, you're a prick, Carl. You're a loser. So I put it on Instagram. Everyone's like, love you, babes. So proud of you. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's this, I'm posting these things at the same time. Yeah. And I'm getting yeah. a completely different reaction. And he was yeah. like, yeah. why am I even on Twitter? It's like on yeah, Instagram, yeah, people yeah, behave yeah. better. And I genuinely think there'll be people out there that will go, oh, well, I wouldn't post that on Instagram, but I would post it on Twitter. And I'd do something different on Facebook. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's because yeah, effectively. I, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, it's the dynamics of the platform. It's how it's structured and designed who's going to see it whether it's your real name or not um you know what it's about. i mean it's interesting because i um i love instagram but i don't use instagram in a really public way um if you follow me on instagram you'll see you'll find out which you probably didn't know which is that i'm actually a great cook and i love cooking so i post pictures of my food and i uh, and the people i follow i don't follow celebrities on uh, Instagram. If you see that I'm following a celebrity, it's because I probably know them in person and they're probably a chef, uh, you know, and that's like completely different from Twitter, right? Where I follow people for a variety of reasons. I'm not even sure why some of them. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just a different space, but then other people have said to me, Oh, Instagram, it has, I don't care for it. It's got way too many ads. I've never seen even one ad on Instagram. And they're like, oh, no, you've just been fooled. You didn't know it was an ad. I'm like, no, I'm 100% sure. Uh, I actually sat with a friend and scrolled through. And I'm like, see, I know all these people. I think they've got me on a some sort of a blue tick situation. <laughs> on a special list. Yeah. Exactly. How do you feel about blue ticks and, and verified accounts? Are they, are they a useful tool on platforms? I, like I do. That? I mean, I think, I think they're useful. Uh, you know, I've got my pilot project, Social Network, uh, Wiki Tribune Social, and we kind of had an internal discussion and debate about blue ticks um, with the community, of course. Um, and, you know, kind of came to the conclusion like that they should serve the purpose of authentication and identification. Uh, in other words, uh, if I see uh, Stella Creasy and Stella Creasy's posting on Twitter and there's a blue tick and I know, yeah, that's actually Stella Creasy. Yes. So she's on WT Social and blue ticked. And so it, it helps with that kind of impersonation for, particularly for well-known people. Uh, it shouldn't necessarily be some sort of badge of honor. Um, and that's, it's hard to separate the two though, because you, you sort of only need it if you're in the public eye. And so what's the point? And so it becomes sort of, I was like, is there a way we could blue tick everybody? Like authenticate everybody. It's really hard without really invading people's privacy. If you want to allow people to say, oh, I'm going to sign up and I'm going to be pseudonym, pseudon pseudonymous, um, then, then they won't be blue ticked. Right. And if people are using their real name, you'd kind of like them to be blue ticked. Doesn't, they don't have to be famous. It's just like to say, yes, this is the, this is the correct person. Um, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting problem. Um, 
and there can be unintended consequences of of a blue tick in an era where there's a perceived narrative about elites and people who have influence mm. and all the rest of it. You could see some of that in the Brexit debate on Twitter and some of the stuff around Jeremy Corbyn. People say, oh, these blue ticks telling us what to think. And yeah, yeah. the benefit of a blue tick is this is who <laughs> this person is, i.e. this is genuinely what they are saying. You can yeah, The yeah. one thing you can trust is it's definitely them typing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless someone's got hold well, of it. Well, you know, hands. I mean, it, it's an interesting thing because I, I, and this is only slightly related, but it is related. So I, I use Google News every day. Um, I, I try to use it logged out because I don't want it to customize to me because I yes. feel like the algorithm, if you're logged in, they show you more news that you like. And it's like, I, as you can guess from what I said earlier, I actually prefer news that I don't like, but that Absolutely. is interesting and quality. But so this morning I was on and I, I saw uh, the, the title of the article was something like, um, the debate about vitamin D, vitamin D, I think you would say here. <laughs> uh, and I said, okay, what, what is the debate? Because I, I, and I know what the, I know the general topic of the debate, which is uh, it's been touted as being helpful for coronavirus, but there is a question, is it actually helpful for coronavirus or is it just a marker? People in poor health have low vitamin D on average. Therefore, when they get coronavirus, they tend to do worse. So is it just correlation or is it causation? I'm like, I'm interested in the topic. I started taking vitamin D every day because it sounded like a good idea. It's cheap, you know, cheap, effective, <laughs> but I'm curious. So I clicked on it because I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I'm interested in the topic. And it took me to a YouTube video. And, but this was from Google News. And so I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. But I also was like, well, I'm not going to watch it because I feel like just being on YouTube to me feels like these could be a couple of nutcases debating each other. Like I have no idea who they are and there didn't seem to be an obvious sort of, we vetted this, right? Whereas normally with, um, with Google news, it's not the general internet. I mean, clear they, they link to newspapers that I don't agree with or approve of, but at least they're newspapers. Right. And at least, you know, it, it doesn't feel like completely random. Uh, so anyway, it's just interesting that, that, what are the markers of quality and how do we help people get better at them? So, you know, the, the thing is if, I mean, there's some very simple and obvious things like, you know, should you re trust a Hollywood comedian about autism and vaccines, or maybe you should you trust leading medical experts, right? That's kind of easy, right? But it's also like, there's all kinds of, um, things circulating, ideas circulating that are, even, even if we eliminate kind of the clearly sort of nutty things like 5G causes coronavirus, like crazy stuff. You also know there's, there's a lot of low quality stuff out there. Um, how do we get better at assessing in the way that the Wikipedians are, by the way, they, they spend a huge amount of time debating the quality of sources, thinking through when would you use this as a source, when would you not, uh, and so forth. And I think that's really, hard for people. Uh, and it's, it's not because it's particularly hard. It's not because people are particularly dumb. It's really, you know, if you're a news junkie and you're uh, really into political news and what's going on in the world, it's easy to forget that a lot of people just aren't that interested, right? And guess what? In free and open societies, it should be your right your absolute right to be completely uninterested in, yes. in what's going on in Westminster, right? Uh, maybe you're only into sport, right? That's fine. 
And, and, and if that's what you're into, that's great. But then when you do say, oh, there's an election next week, I, sh I should figure out what's going on. I, I frankly, I don't pay that much attention to Westminster because I, whatever, I don't care. But now I'm going to vote. I think that is when you, 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 you should get, like we should think about in society, okay, now you've decided for the first time since the last election to think about politics. Uh, you're not going to become an expert overnight. You're not going to chew through hundreds of issues. But are you at least getting some sort of a basic quality information uh, as opposed to the latest sort of rant on a tabloid newspaper or your crazy uncle on Facebook or whatever it might be? Um, and I, you know, I hope Wikipedia can play that kind of role for people. If they're like, oh, everybody's banging on about Obamacare in the U.S. I'm a little ashamed to admit, I don't know what Obamacare is, right? I'm sure there's hundreds of people like that. And I've got all my friends are either for it or against it. And I don't really understand, but I can go to Wikipedia. I hopefully can read, you know, six paragraphs. And then at least I'm oriented, right? I know kind of what's going on. I haven't been told one side of the story. I've, I've been given some of the pros and cons so that I begin to kind of function a little bit better. So, When we think about truth and news and social media, really predominantly we're thinking about Facebook and Twitter. I wonder if, had they used part of your model or something like it where they have that community element, mm. they might have been less susceptible to the mistakes they've made. Well, I mean, maybe. I mean, uh, this is what I am working on. So if you go to wt.social, Wikitribune Social, sign up, uh, check it I out. I have signed up, by the way. But, I have an account there. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that I would acknowledge is it's a harder problem. Uh, and the reason it's a harder problem is, is twofold, really. So first, um, when, you, when, when our goal is we're going to write an encyclopedia, that's really clarifying, right? We know what we're there for. We organize everything around that principle. It's, it should be exactly as Wikipedia tends to be, like very dry, a bit sort of blah, 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 fact-based, da, 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 da. Um, whereas if you talk about Twitter or Facebook, it's, it's basically a little box that says, hey, what's on your mind, right? And you're supposed to post your random opinions and thoughts, right? And it turns out, some people have horrific random opinions and thoughts, right? Uh, and some people are just rude and some people are idiots and pointless and, and so on. And some people have very thoughtful, clever things to say. Um, you know, I always, actually, I, I always note at this point, I have more followers on Quora than I have on Twitter and Facebook combined last I checked. And I always say that's because I'm not that good at Twitter, to be honest. It's like 240 characters. I mean, I sometimes get off a zinger that people look at, but you know, it's just not my medium. Whereas in Quora, you answer in three paragraphs. I'm like, yeah, I can do three paragraphs. That's me. But anyway, um, so it's, it's hard because the, the minute you say, that, you know, what is your opinion, then you've got to grapple with some really hard questions, right? That at Wikipedia, like, I honestly don't care what your opinion is, right? Your opinion is irrelevant to this discussion. It's about what does the source say? Are we accurately reflecting what's in a reliable source? If you go onto the Donald Trump talk page and you start telling me why you think he's an idiot, it's like, doesn't really belong here. Like, that's fine. It's your opinion. You should go post it somewhere. Um, and so that's harder. And then the other thing is engagement, I think, is really, is really interesting. So I'm kind of approaching things from a kind of a slow news point of view, like the slow food movement, uh, slow social media is to say, look, if you come and you, you know, 
you can design a site so that people get addicted and they're there constantly and, and lots and lots of noise, but that's not really interesting. Or you can design around quality and then it's a slower experience. But then if you don't, if it's not engaging enough, I mean, it still has to be interesting, otherwise people won't come back. Uh, and that's really where we are right now. We're saying, look, we, we've built a platform that I, I, you're not gonna find the kind of disinformation and things that you find on the big platforms. At the same time, you're probably gonna come in as most people do, as I bet you did if I go and I check, you may be posted once, maybe posted none, you don't really come that often because we haven't really gotten to that critical mass yet of like, is it fun, is it interesting? Whereas you might say, actually, you know, I would love a place that I could come, you know, once a week uh, and get two or three long reads that are really well chosen and really interesting by a community of thoughtful people on the obscure topic I'm interested in, uh, that could be great. But I, I would admit we're not there yet. Like we're still developing, we're still thinking, chewing on what does it mean, so. We'll see if we Hopefully, get listeners to the show will be flooding there in droves now. You'll see a spike yes, in uh, subscriptions to WT Social. I'll put a link in the blurb so that people can click on Lovely. it. Um, do you ever talk to other people? I mean, you're in a kind of small club, really, of people that have had the impact you've had and that have endured since the early days of the internet with these big sites. There's really you, Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey at Twitter. Do you ever chat to each other? Yeah, I mean, sometimes. I mean, I, 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 well, I've been here in my attic for a year, so that's kind of cut down on, on the events where I might bump into these people. Uh, I would say I know more people at, at Google, uh, just, I don't know, by their culture, they're just more open and have more events and show up at more things. Um, but yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's, uh, uh, yeah, interesting people. I guess you'd be called big internet. This seems to be the um, the term <laughs> the of the internet, time. Yeah. Sticking the word big before yeah. pharmaceuticals. I mean, we're such an outlier. We're so different, you know, from from the others that uh, it it means, you know, uh, I think they're all uh, very interested in what craziness I've done. But uh, you know, we're just sort of in a different headspace in many ways. You've periodically advised the UK government, um, the business department on. Uh, I think it was putting academic papers online mm. or something like that. Did yeah. you find them receptive? Did they follow your advice? I mean, hard to say. I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I think what's, yeah, that, that in particular was about open access, uh, which I think is a hugely important area. <clears throat> I think there's still a long way to go, but a lot of interesting stuff has happened there already. Uh, you know, it's it, in general, it's, I think the point that, does get through to politicians pretty pretty well is you're paying for this research with the money that your citizens gave you through taxes. And now the citizens can't access the research because it's behind a paywall and Elsevier is charging a fortune for it. Maybe that's not a great thing, right? Maybe government funding should come with strings to say, we're funding this for the benefit of the public. It has to be published for the benefit of the public. And that argument gets a lot of traction. And I think a lot of people do kind of get that and, and think that's important. Um, and then in other cases, yeah, I mean, sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. <laughs> it's, it's, it's changed uh, at various points in time, uh, you know, different, m more than anything else, sort of different special advisors come and go. And some of them really are sharp and get the internet. And some of them are just not. 
you know, they're not on, on the bowl. Um, so it just, it, it, it depends. It depends. Does the current administration, are they, are they sharp or are they not on the ball? Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't, it's interesting because it's such a large group, you know, it's a, it's a large thing, but I mean, there definitely have been things, uh, you know, the whole, the whole track and trace and the app and all that nonsense that, that just, you know, sort of, there was a period in time when they were pointedly refusing to accept the advice of Google and Apple uh, on privacy. And I was just like, yeah, like, just don't do that. Like that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. They're not going to, you know, you're not going to bully Google and Apple into letting you invade people's privacy in a way, you know, like that's just weird. Like we're concerned about these companies invading our privacy. You're going to, it doesn't make any sense, you know? And particularly because the Germans had, had come up with an app that even like the chaos computer club, one of the most privacy conscious groups of hackers out there was like, yeah, we're, we're okay with this app. I'm like, okay, then like, that's an endorsement that means something. Uh, and then, you know, there's, there's loads that's gone wrong, uh, sort of technology and, and so forth. Uh, but I think they're learning, but uh, you know, the problem is big organizations are inherently just hard to turn very quickly. Um, and that's particularly true of governments, um, just for a variety of reasons. Uh, my, my current tech irritant, in case anybody from uh, the BBC is listening. <laughs> they will be. Is, I like, so I love uh, BBC Radio 4, and I love my Alexa, which I have in my kitchen. And I've recently solved my problem. So Alexa refuses to pay BBC Radio 4 unless I change her accent to British. Not, no not country. My account, I have, a, I have a UK account, a UK digitally homed Amazon account, a Amazon, an Alexa I bought in the UK. The only thing is the accent. So clearly what someone there has done is they're trying to determine country code because I understand the BBC has issues around license fee and where you are and all that sort of thing. So yes. they want to make sure you're in the UK, but I'm going to argue that determining whether you're in the UK or not by your accent is not a very valid person as a British citizen with an American accent. I can tell you that's not true. And so you say, well, why do you mean, why do you want your Alexa to have an American accent? Well, I've got little girls and they think it's quite funny that they can get her to say zebra instead of zebra. So there legitimate, you go. it's a better reason than, than, than any other, yeah. I suppose. And so I just find, you know, stuff like that. That's just a little uh, little thing. That's just me joking around, really. But, you know, it's like a large organization. It's like, how do you, how do you think about improving something like that that's very minor, really? And what about, you, you have your own politics. You talked about your opinions of President Trump that a lot of uh, listeners to this show, I'm mm. sure, will share. Um, is it true you offered your services to Ed Miliband uh, to yeah, help him yeah. with social media and he turned you down? Yeah. It didn't turn me down. It was, it was more, again, it was an organizational failure, I would say. He was very enthusiastic. He said, Jimmy, that's great. We'll get back to you. Um, someone in the office will call you, and they never did. So then I followed up, and they never did. Anyway, just was like, okay, well, <laughs> like to help, but uh, no. It seems a, a, a real wasted opportunity for them. Yeah, well, I like to think so, but I'm not sure what I could have told them. I mean, it's it's interesting because what what I would say is, and and I'm I'm no fan, as is generally well known, no fan of Jeremy Corbyn, uh, 
And the one thing I say is that literally the day he took over the Labour Party, I suddenly got very well-crafted email campaigns from the Labour Party, which I'd never seen before. And I'm like, okay, I, I suppose it was the momentum people and all of that, but I'm like, they actually managed to win this with a very good digital strategy, which the previous sort of leadership of the Labour Party wasn't able to get their head around. Um, and that's not even about politics. And in fact, you know, it's like it's not like I'm a huge fan of Ed Miliband's politics. Like many politicians, I agree and I don't agree on various things. But, you know, it's like the, the actual... What I do care about is responsiveness of politicians. And, and it's actually, again, it's a really hard problem. So I remember talking to uh, a special advisor under David Cameron, and they were doing some sort of a big public consultation to find waste in government. And I'm like, okay, that sounds good. I'm happy, you know. And they, you know, the problem they had is, okay, yeah, we've got this form and we've gotten tens of thousands of reports from various people. And like, now we're like, well, what are we supposed to do with all this? Right. And I'm like, yeah, that's actually a really hard problem. Uh, and so they were, they were explaining, I'm not sure I gave them any useful advice, but you know, it's like, for me, that's not a political thing. It's, it's not about policy. It's just like, could we have a well-functioning government? That would be yeah. fantastic. You know? And that's actually, I, I feel, you know, about the, the various response on coronavirus. I think like anybody else, I think parts of it were good. Parts of it were clearly shambolic. Uh, and what I find unfortunate though, is that that sort of, it, it, the debate is too often, as I say, just too heated too you know, whatever, if, if I say, actually, I think the furlough program has worked quite well in sort of keeping things ticking over. Uh, I normally wouldn't recommend the government spend that much money, but I mean, what else are you going to do? Uh, and at the same time, you know, other aspects, I mean, track and trace, clearly a lot of money gone through as far as I can tell, no benefit whatsoever. Uh, obviously, the the apparent corruption, I think we'll hopefully we'll find out in a few years if it's just a bit of a sloppiness or actual corruption of a lot of mates getting contracts uh, in, in ways that don't seem quite right to me. Uh, all that kind of stuff is like, there's parts of that that are like policy choices where I might have gone one way or the other, but I can accept, you know, that's hard. Part of it's just like, that's just not good governance, sort of giving your mate a contract for 60 million. It's not on, you know, so. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, great. It would have been great to cover the future of the internet at some point, but maybe another time. Yeah, maybe another time. Lovely. Good fun. Really appreciate it. That was superb. Maybe we'll meet in person. Oh, that'd be great. Whereabouts are you based? I'm in the Cotswolds and London. Okay. Well, maybe in London sometime. Keep in touch. Cheers, Jimmy. Well, there you go, Jimmy Wales. I'm just absolutely buzzing about the community. I want to know more about them. If you're a member of the Wikipedia community, email the show politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com, along with any tales you may have about seeing politicians in unusual places, particularly if you saw them on holiday. But the Wikipedia community, it feels like there should have been more attention about it. It feels like there should be a film made about it. This is where, of course, people get in touch and say, oh, there's a massive film made about it. How could you not have seen it? Ryan Gosling's in it. The odds of that, I think, are fairly slim. But who knows if you are Ryan Gosling and you were in a film about the Wikipedia community, email the show. But what a magical thing. I, I guess it's a form in the online realm of civic society. 
of joining the Rotary Club or the Scouts or a political party or the Salvation Army or volunteering at a charity shop. If you help clean the internet, if you help maintain Wikipedia, that's your voluntary work, I guess. That's your charity work. But what an amazing, amazing group of people. I also have put a link in the blurb to Jimmy's new social media, WT Social. I'm relieved um, that he said, oh, I think you've only been on a couple of times and that's the idea, because I immediately felt deep pangs of guilt that I'd signed up to this social media and not used it, but turns out that was the plan all along. So there you go. That's um, I've done what was expected of me. And of course, in the blurb is a link to get those tickets to those amazing nights we're all going to have at the Garrick Theatre. Uh, at the end of May and at the start of June. If you, if I was too fast for you before, I realise you can rewind these things. My head is still stuck in the olden times where things were announced on the radio and the telly and you had to write them down. Otherwise, the information was just gone. You couldn't rewind the telly back then. Um, so just in case you missed it at the start, in case you were otherwise disposed or you bumped into someone or whatever, three very special political party nights herald the return of the live shows. They're all at the Garrick Theatre in London's West End. On the Monday, on the Monday, on Monday, the 24th of May, it's Peter Mandelson and Saeed Avasi. On Tuesday, the 25th of May, it's Keir Starmer and Andrea Leadsom. And on Wednesday, the 2nd of June, it's Jess Phillips and Esther McVeigh. Three fantastic. I mean, just any one of those nights is going to be amazing. I'm very lucky. I get to go to all three of them, so I can't wait. Six fantastic guests. I hope to see you there. You can get tickets through my website, mattford.com slash live. And as I said at the start, they are socially distanced um, venues and COVID secure. Well, the venues socially distanced. The seats will be sold socially distanced. Um, so I think it's about a third capacity and um, it'll be COVID secure. So I will see you there on the 24th and 25th of May and on the 2nd of June. And I'll be back in a few days with another episode of this podcast. See you soon. Ta-ra. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.